0: Welcome to another edition of Flown with Fina, the first of 2020. I'm so excited to introduce today's special guest, 15-year retired NBA vet, 2017 finals champ, and now the host of the highly acclaimed podcast, All the Smoke. It's my pleasure to introduce Matt Barnes. How you doing? And I'm, I'm really, I'm really excited that you're here, and I just want to express my gratitude and say thank you for taking your time, for taking the time out of your day, your night, and you know, joining me and talking about your journey.
1: Uh, no problem. I'm glad I could be a guest.
0: And um, so now, I'd love to, I'd love to begin going into your childhood and mm-hmm. starting off with that. How did, how did you find the game? How did, how did basketball come to you?
1: Um, I actually grew up playing football. Um, my dad played uh semi pro, um, was one of the last cuts from the 49ers in, in the early eighties. So I grew up playing in the neighborhood, playing uh football, tackle football on the street. Football is always my first passion. Uh, I was introduced to basketball, um, probably like elementary school, but didn't really start taking it serious until maybe sixth, seventh grade is when, you know, I realized okay, I'm, I'm getting a little bit bigger. Um you know, I'm going to pick up basketball, but football was, up until I went to college, football was my number one sport.
0: Wow. That's, no, that's awesome. And, but what made, you, what made you choose basketball, though?
1: Um, I just think I was getting taller and bigger, and I just figured uh, longevity was going to be in basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I grew up, uh, even though I love football, I loved football, I was a 49er fan, but then I also grew up watching Magic Johnson so I knew mm-hmm. that I was kind of a bigger kid um but I still like to be able to handle the ball and, and be able to distribute and make my teammates better so like I said I, I, I that's what got me going and then when I had to choose uh when I got to, I didn't necessarily have to choose I I decided to choose and, and try to focus on one and go pro in that and it was just basketball because I figured you know six eight running across uh a, a, you know a secondary I didn't think my life would be too long in the NFL yeah
0: well, what position did you
1: play in in, uh, in football? Uh, I was a receiver. I was uh, I was an All-American. I led the nation in touchdowns my senior year. I was one of the top receivers. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, it was, like I said, it was something that was really second nature to me. Basketball was something that, that, that came um, to me but wasn't as natural as football was. So, uh, you know, basketball is more of a challenge. But, uh, you know, I accepted that challenge in college and, and pushed myself and was able to make something out of it.
0: So now talking about college, how was your recruiting process? Because I'm sure you got, you know, coaches from, you know, from
1: everywhere. I was was recruited everywhere to uh, play both sports. Um, But I was someone that played football, basketball, baseball, and track during uh, high school. So I never really got a chance to take a recruiting trip. Um, I got a chance to see a UCLA game on one Saturday afternoon and they showed like, you know, Along with the game, like, you know, when they're coming back from commercials, they would show the beach and they'd show the palm trees. I'm just like, damn, that's beautiful. Um, so I kind of just committed off UCLA off, you know, watching watching a couple games on TV and then seeing what L.A. was like. Mm-hmm. So uh, I committed to UCLA. And then that's when I actually took my first trip, first and only trip. Well, I took a trip after uh, basketball season down to UCLA, met some of my uh, uh, future teammates, and mm-hmm. I was a Bruin.
0: And do you
1: have a highlight of your career while you're at UCLA? Um, I had a blast, man. I think college, you know, this is kind of before guys were really leaving school early. You know what I mean? So I just had a full, fun experience in college, being in Westwood, uh, you know, making lifelong friends, guys I'm still close with. Uh, But if we're talking about a personal part playing experience, I'd probably say there was a run in college where... uh, we got a chance to, like I said, I was a huge Matthew Johnson fan. We got a chance to play USC in the form. And I just happened, like, I didn't know until after the game. I had such, I had a good game, but the reporter told me, uh, you know, you're sitting in Maddie Johnson's old locker, which was mm-hmm. crazy. But I ended up having, like, 37 points, and we came back and beat SC at the form. And then two days later, we played um, Kansas when they were number one in the country at Poly. And um, I had another 30-plus point game. And, um... I was named Sports Illustrated Player of the Week or something like that. So just kind of personal, you know, those those were a couple games. But as much talent as we had, we kind of underachieved there. So we had, man, I want to say seven or eight pros on my freshman year team, and we didn't win anything. So I had a blast. We didn't do too much winning, but uh, it, it was a fun time.
0: How was the, you know, how was the culture over there while you were at UCLA? How
1: was the locker room? Um, it was different. You know, this is pre-social media, um, you know, and really almost I'm kind of saying my almost pre-cell phones. Like, cell phones weren't really, even really around. So, this is when, you know, you just kicked it with your team. You sat, you talked, you chopped it up, you had a good time. Um, you know, we always had a, a game plan on where to meet after practice, to, you know, to go grab some drinks or go to the club or go grab some food. So... The the environment was cool, man. That's I like think I said that's what made it so great. I have you know a handful of guys that I still talk to to this day that are very close to me. That that, that were former teammates of mine, and uh I, I really built a brotherhood with guys from uh college.
0: Yeah, hey, well, I'd love to give a shout out to my
1: coach, you know, Jason Flowers for this. You know, yeah, you know, he's, yeah, yeah. He's, you know, shout out, really. yeah, shout out, Jay Flowers. Jay transferred to our school. um yeah, was it my sophomore year, my junior year? Mm-hmm. But one of the absolute hardest workers I've ever met. Yeah. And a, a guy that you hated playing against because um, Jay, I mean, we just had a talented team. Mm-hmm. And, and Jay didn't really get in the rotation. So Jay was someone that, that always got you better in practice. So he worked his ass off in practice. Mm-hmm. He was someone that always took charges, which I hated. but <laughs> He was just oh, a Doing that yeah, he used to take charges at any time. That shit used to piss me off. But he was, I mean, I respected his hustle, man, because he was mm-hmm. a good dude. He got his work in before after practice, was a great teammate, and understood his role. You know, he mm-hmm. just knew his role was to get us better in practice, and and he took pride in that, and he did that. And it, it doesn't surprise me that he's, uh, you know, is a, su- a successful and well-liked college coach. Yeah, no, it's, yeah,
0: he's, he's awesome. I'm very, you know, I'm very thankful to have him. How about him as a coach. Um, but now like you know you got drafted in two thousand two by the uh-huh. games, And are you able to talk about your experience when you first got into when you first got drafted? Um,
1: my journey was crazy. I was drafted and then traded on draft day to Cleveland. Never really even got a chance to play in Cleveland. I was cut and I went to the um Back then it was called the D-League, now it's called the G-League, but it was when it kind of, I want to say it was its its second year, so it was like minor league baseball, we're traveling on eight, nine hour bus rides, um, if we fly it's like horrible little tiny planes, that you, like La Bamba planes you feel like you're going to crash on, so it was just a shitty overall experience, but it really made me realize like... Okay, this is not what I what I planned, what I intended, and uh, it, it was really when I kind of put my foot on the gas and started grinding. So I grind in the minor leagues for a year, um, called up to the Clippers, and then after that, I, you know, I played 14 years. And um, did you
0: did you play in the ABA? Is that
1: yeah? yeah so, I played, played yes, the- so I played. Yes, I okay. yes, so I played in the I played in the G or excuse me, D league for a second. Then I played yeah. in the ABA briefly. Um, and Ali and it was when Dennis Rodman was trying to make a comeback. So Dennis, uh, Dennis Rodman, it was cool, man. I, I didn't really get a chance to to hang out with him and kick it because he was on the team for like two weeks before I got called up to the Clippers. But uh, you know, being a, a, a Bulls fan along with Laker fan and, and seeing what Dennis did with Mike and those guys, and, and kind of being a, a bad boy myself, it was it was an honor to just mm-hmm. to get to kind of know him and and work with him for however brief it was. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was short lived, but. You know, like I said, my next step was to the NBA, and I never really looked back after.
0: So how were you able to find your role in the league, and, and when was that for you?
1: Um, it was tough. You know, I just think what it is with the NBA is, I mean, everybody's talented once you get there, and, you know, some guys never really get a chance to play, and that's just what it is, and, and, and by not getting a chance, you know, you kind of get washed out. So my first few years, the first year I got called up to the Clippers, I, I played well. I was supposed to sign a, a two-year deal going into that summer, but I was from Sacramento. But this, So this is the same time that uh, the Kings were really good in my hometown. And uh, Chris Webb was one of my mentors, kind of big brother. I'd work out with them in the summer. So I'm working out in the summertime with him and uh, doing well. And I get offered a contract from Sacramento. So I'm just like, shit. As much as I had fun with the Clippers, you know, and I had a two-year situation, uh, I, I signed a one-year deal with my hometown team because so they were—I felt like they were on the verge of, you know, winning a championship there. Um, unfortunately, maybe uh, that first year of February of uh, that first year with the Lakers, or excuse me, with the Kings, I was traded with Chris Weber to Philly, and it was—it it, kind of started my roller coaster, and it was almost. The beginning of the end of my career, because once I was traded, I get a chance to play. So I sat in Philly for two years, never really got a chance to play. I uh, just worked on my game diligently and, and just knew if I ever got a chance to play, I needed to seize the moment. Uh, that next moment came in 2006 when I played for Golden State, where I, you know I was a last minute invite to training camp beat out a bunch of guys, and um, you know, by midway, by midseason, I was starting, and that was my first real taste of the NBA, and after that, you know, I was consistently either a starter or a sixth or seventh man mm-hmm. coming off the bench the rest of my career.
0: And you know that, your, your the type of, your play, you know, you were competitive, <laughs> you are gritty, and, you, you know, like, you, you love to, you love to, you know, talk smack, you know, and, you know, where did that come from? Where did that competitiveness competitive um, come from?
1: To be honest with you, I'm not really, I'm someone that that kind of just plays um, Mm -hmm. until someone else starts talking. Um, My competitive nature just came from my upbringing. You know, I just, I came from, you know, a a rough neighborhood and kind of a rough childhood and it's just, it it was kind of instilled in me Um, and not to mention like I'm a football player. So I just looked at myself as like a football player playing basketball, you know, Mm -hmm. so I just played hard. I loved contact. Um, I loved you know, guarding people. And I was really good when I'd get out on the wing and run the floor and transition and catch lobs or finish at the basket. So I just kind of looked at myself as a football player playing basketball. I knew that my offensive game wasn't really necessarily what it needed to be, but my my defensive game and my heart was there. So I just learned early on that once I got a chance to play, just to be that guy that can lock up on defense and guard anybody. And that would give me time on the court. And then through that, I was able to develop my offensive game to you know, be a consistent three-point shooter, ball handler, and do a little bit of everything on the court. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Did you have any pregame rituals or, you know, any, any superstitions?
1: Um, not necessarily. Um, I'm not a very superstitious person. Mm-hmm. Um, I would always need to take a pregame nap. Uh, I'd always listen to Tupac. I mean, I guess you can say those are superstitions, but it wasn't anything crazy outside of really just doing those two things.
0: Winning an NBA championship in
1: 2017, you know, which was your last season? You know, going out like that, what did that mean to you? Um, it was a bittersweet situation. I was someone who took less money my whole career to win. So, I kind of got the short end of stick on situations. I always just felt like, you know, if I win, everybody eats. And I was close to winning championships two or three times on two or three different teams. Oddly enough, I land, um... Back with the Warriors um, in 17, and everything was good. You know, I was playing well. I went there because I started in Sacramento. It's when they traded DeMarcus Cousins to uh, New Orleans. I thought we were on the brink of, you know, Sacramento just got a new arena. We were on the brink of making the playoffs. They trade DeMarcus. I tell him, you know, I'm getting old. I don't have time to help rebuild. I want to be released. Um, Kevin Durant ends up doing something to his knee maybe a week later. And I ended up going right up the freeway to Golden State. So it it worked out crazy. But, you know, as soon as I got there, um, I was in the rotation. I was playing about 20, 22 minutes a game. Played well. And then about a week before the playoffs and Kevin Durant's first game back, I had a severe, like the worst ankle sprain of my life. Almost broke my ankle. Swelled horribly. And it was fucked because literally it was a week before the playoffs. So by the time I felt good, was kind of towards the end of the second round, which we are already eight zero, and we already had a rotation and then and, and chemistry. And me being a veteran player, that's you know I understood that you know that's not something you break up. So I kind of had to watch um, as that team won a championship. So obviously it was a great experience being around those guys. You know, saying that that I won one, but it was it was bittersweet to me from a standpoint of like I said, I was always the guy that was out there going to war with my teammates, blood, sweat, tears guarding the best player doing what I do and not to get not to get a chance to do that um but still win like I said so it was bittersweet talk so oddly enough I really don't count it as a championship I mean they say I was on the team and you know I got the ring but I don't wear the ring I don't really talk about it it's not something like when one say they say what's your proudest moment it, it, it's not winning that ring because I just really feel like it, it was it was a <laughs> anyone could have got that ring you know that team was so good. That I didn't really get a chance to play in the playoffs, so I don't really count that as as a championship in my book.
0: No, that that makes sense. Um, So, would you, you know, being on a championship team, you know, the culture, you know, the bond, and like the locker room, was there a difference um, from like previous teams you were with?
1: Um, that team was amazing. Um, just the chemistry, the The brotherhood, the selflessness. I mean, you got to think to have Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, three of the greatest shooters of all time. You add Draymond Green in there, Andre Iguodala, Sean Livingston, David West, all guys who've had success in other places. But none of their previous success mattered. And the only thing that mattered at the time was winning a championship. So to be able to be in a locker room with superstars and future Hall of Famers and just to know that the only thing that mattered was on the front of their jersey and not the back was really dope.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite
1: <laughs> overall favorite memory while you were playing in the league? Um, I just probably say you know my longevity to you know to to, to being I, I had the number one recruiting class at UCLA, but uh, all five of us, but I was the fifth recruit. Mm-hmm. You know, so to be able to make the NBA and, and, and the tough start I had played in the D league or the D league and the and the ABA, I just think my grind and my perseverance and my heart. Um, They got me 14 years in the NBA. Is probably my favorite part about being in the NBA. I mean, I got to play with a lot of future Hall of Famers, Hall of Famers. You know, I got a chance to play with Shaq, Kobe, Allen Iverson, Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Chris Weber, Stephon Marbury, Steve Nash, Grant Hill. I got to play with just an array of some of the greatest guys ever to play basketball. Um, So that was amazing. But I just think the fact that I was able to stick... 14 years when I wasn't supposed to be there in the first place is probably my best memory of it.
0: You know, those the, the list of names you just, you know, you just said out of that group, who was the, like the most competitive, you know, person you played, but who was the most competitive, you know, out of that list?
1: Um, I would say there's, I would say there's four guys, mm-hmm. five guys um, that are just insanely competitive and winning is everything. I would put Kobe number one, um, and then I put Allen Iverson and Chris Paul right underneath that. If if there's such a thing as underneath uh, Draymond Green and then Steven Jackson, those are probably the most five competitive guys that would do absolutely anything um, to win. Uh, I love their heart. Uh, I, I would go to war with them any day. I think they would say the same thing about me. It was mm-hmm. just dogs. And that's what attracted, you know, that's what it, I was attracted to. That's what attracted guys to, that's what guys liked about me. And it, that dog mentality is really what, what uh, had me and Kobe become friends. Um,
0: you know, the time that you you know, you know played with the Lakers and, you know, especially with Kobe, you know, rest in peace. Um, yeah. You know, are you able to, you know, talk about your experience to be able to play with, you know, such a guy that he, he you know, plays with such excellence, you know, yeah. so much? Are you able to uh, go into that?
1: It was amazing because, you know, I met Cole when I was at UCLA. He came, he was two years older than me. So when he first came to the Lakers, people don't realize he didn't play his first couple of years. So he was always up at UCLA working out, walking around campus. Um, so I got a chance to get it to, to, to meet him and know him then. I would used to watch him work out. I'm just like, man, this guy's going to be amazing. You know, so fast forward to kind of just becoming a fan of him and watching him build his game to actually being able to compete against him. And then it kind of came to a head um, in 2010 in that Orlando Magic game where we were going back and forth, and I faked the ball in his face and Mm -hmm. right before the playoffs started. And um, I was a free agent after that season, and I was talking to uh, Pat Riley and Dwayne Wade, so this is the same summer that LeBron and Chris Bosh were going to Miami. And I was in the midst of of, of going to that team because I was in Orlando. I was just right down the freeway. And out of the blue, I get a a number, a call from a number that I have no idea who it is. And I don't ever answer my phone. For some reason, I answered the phone and it it happened to be Kobe. And he asked me if I wanted to be a Laker. I said, hell fucking yeah. He said, anyone crazy enough to fuck with me is crazy enough to play with me. And, And that was it. Like three or four days later, I was a Laker. And, um, that's where we kind of started our friendship. It started on the court mm-hmm. as just mutual respect as dogs and same kind of personality, same kind of mentality. And then it, it grew into an off the court, uh, brotherhood where he would always, you know, look out for my twins and I got a chance to meet his family. And, and we, we really became friends off the courts and brothers off the courts. And up until the day he died, uh, you know, he had just sent my, my kids, AU to a U team, so whole his his newest shoe they had just launched um, two weeks before he passed so it, it was really hard to <clears throat> go through that process uh, but it, it, it was amazing to get to share you know the time I got to spend with him because like I said it it almost came from us fighting and then we became brothers after that so uh, my friendship with Kobe was, was amazing and uh, you know I love that guy to death I miss him uh, I miss him and Gigi and my heart still goes out to his family and the rest of the victims who were lost in the helicopter crash.
0: Yes, definitely. Um, You know, right now, life after basketball. um, Do you you get that itch to play? Do you miss it?
1: No, not at all. It's crazy. I don't miss because, like I said, I think that I wasn't supposed to be here. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So the fact that I, I was here and I did what I did. I left early to be honest with you, I just turned forty about a month ago, but I had signed a three year deal the year I retired, so I was supposed to be playing up until my you know up until i was thirty nine mm-hmm. um, but I just felt like the time was right, even though I didn't get to go out the way I wanted to per se playing um there were some other off the court issues I was having with being able to see my kids, but then the positive was is i you know I, I started business, you know, probably when I was about thirty one, thirty two, so everything kinda started rolling at thirty seven and the fact that I'd, you know, been on a championship team it kinda gave the business side of my life a boost. So I was just like you know, I got fourteen years, fifteen overall in professional basketball. I was excited for what was next. Um very eager to be able to step out of the shadow of the NBA and kind of kind of show the world who I really was. I think I had there was such a misconception of I was the bad guy in basketball. So to be able to show, you know, a full range of who I was and to be able to do other things and be successful at them, I was excited about that at first. And and the most important thing was that I just really got to spend more time with my kids. And that was, you know, obviously number one to me. No,
0: like you said, um, people had like a misconception of like how you were like, you know, the bad guy. How were you able to deal with that while playing? You know,
1: uh, it was tough. It was tough at first because I wasn't a bad guy. You know what I mean? I think there was just a misconception because I had my teammates back. Like, if you look back on my career, all the trouble and all the fines I ever got, it was never because I was just out there fucking with people. It was because, you know, guys were messing with my teammates or or doing dirty shit to my teammates. And I looked at my teammates as my brother. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to, you know, if you're going to try to do some dirty shit to Chris, you're going to try to do some shit to Blake, or you're going to take a cheap shot at Kobe, like you're taking a cheap shot at me. You know, so I was kind of just always the quote unquote, you know, the 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 team protector if that makes sense and um i was just down for my teammates so i think that alone and then some of the real i mean i just gotten some real life off the court shit you know Mm -hmm. i did some shit like i never looked at myself as okay i can't do that because i'm a basketball player like if things if, if real life shit approached i would handle it how anyone else would handle it and i think that got me a lot of respect from mm-hmm. some people, but also gave me a reputation in the media. And you know, when the media paints a picture of you know who you are, that's who you are. So at first it was tough, but then I just embraced it. You know, I'm just like, mm-hmm. fuck it. If they want to make me a bad guy, I'm gonna be the baddest bad guy that I could be. You know, so I just kind of embraced the villain role and ran with it. And it, you know, it got me 14 years uh, of, a, of a fun career.
0: Definitely. Uh, you know, life now. What do you What do you enjoy doing?
1: You know. With- uh dad being being a dad first and foremost i have twins that are 11 i coach them in football and basketball i have a 16 month old little guy too so being able to start over has been amazing you know i was always a hands-on dad but when i had the twins i was playing so i was gone a lot so now that i'm done you know being with my little man every single day and still being able to coach the twins um fatherhood has been the most gratifying uh part of my life the most exciting what i'm most proud of is being a father, but then just other businesses. I've been a huge advocate uh, for cannabis and uh, athletes in cannabis. Um, I have my own company called uh, Seven Leaves and I'm producing my own line called Swish, which will be out soon a full line of CBD products and THC products. But I was someone who smoked cannabis from the age of 14. And saw what it did for me. Like I said, I had a crazy childhood, and it just it was always being able to relax me and help me sleep, help me focus, took pain away. So, I was someone who smoked through high school, through college, through the NBA. I, you know, I made my way through it. So, once I was done, I knew a lot of other guys did it too, but we were getting in trouble. So, you know, along myself, along with Al Harrington, Ricky Williams, there's a handful of guys out there that have you know had successful careers and. Kind of advocated for it. Um, I've been on, you know, first take with Stephen A. Smith, having a conversation about weed. You know, who would ever think that a, you know, a retired NBA player would be on ESPN with the highest-paid analyst in the world, talking about weed and schooling him on it and educating him on it and changing his perspective on it. Um, so I've really taken pride in that. Um obviously the podcast has kind of taken off out of nowhere. I knew nothing about podcasts. I just knew that I could talk a little bit and people like talking to me and we've turned that into the number one podcast. Um so I'm also producing and directing and creating behind the scenes with some other shows. Um that's something I really enjoy doing. And then I just have a few, you know, other businesses here and there. I have a Hugh for Every Man, uh men's grooming line that's in Target. We're doing a CBD infused skincare line through that. Um, I have a fresh press juice company with some friends. I have a flower shop with some friends. Just kind of invested in, in, in stuff that I know people always need, stuff that I'm interested in, stuff I have fun with, and business. You know, life after basketball. Mm-hmm. It's scared for some people. Some people lose it. Some people go broke. Some people get addicted. But I've had a blast just learning stuff and, and, and taking that same grind and mentality I had in sports and applying it to business. That's
0: awesome and you know now talking about your, your podcast all the smoke it's I, I love i love listening to it and it's it's awesome thank uh, you, you. Know, what do you hope people take away you know after listening to each episode
1: well i just like i said i, I think i said earlier in this interview like i just think i was always there was always a misconception and i was always prejudged before people really got a chance to get to know me people would see some shit on tmz or me cuss out a ref in the nba and think they kind of knew who i was so i think I always had to kind of go above and beyond to show people like, okay, I was just a competitive dog. I wasn't an asshole. I wasn't a thug. I wasn't none of the shit you guys were trying to make me be. That's just who I was as a competitor. So being able to show my other side, to humanize myself, to humanize. So that's always been my goal of the podcast is to humanize people. Because I think, you know, as athletes and celebrities, you know, the media is is very powerful and, and they can put out false narratives and people will run with them. So for me to be able to have be able to have my guests tell their side of the story, Uh, let everyone be relatable, let everyone know we're just like our fans. I mean, we're no different than the man next to us. We just happen to get paid a lot of money and play on TV. Mm -hmm. You know, but we still go through the same shit. We still go through divorce. We still go through death. We still get sick. We still have all kinds of problems like everyone else do. Like, you know, we're still quarantined. Like, we're normal people. We just happen to do, you know, play an amazing sport. Um, So to my goal has always just been to show the other side of people you know take you know dig deep show different layers of people and, and let people tell their stories and I think we've done a, a, a great job of, of doing that you know the, the, the my favorite thing is when I'm reading you know after a show when someone says they learned something new about one of our guests or now they respect them because they got to hear their side of the story um, I love hearing stuff like that
0: yeah and it's definitely inspirational and like I said I, I love I love listening to it. Um, you know, right now, do you have a goal? Do you have a goal that you're trying to accomplish?
1: Um, for the podcast, yeah, I want to win a um, I want to win an Emmy, and I want to win it in Kobe's honor. You know, Mm -hmm. he was someone who, when I played with Kobe, he always told me like I want to sit at the table with Jordan. I mean, meaning he wanted to get six rings. You know, obviously Kobe finished with five. But then when he won the Oscar and he won the Emmy, you know, the first the first phone calls or texts, I made is just like, you know, you did something Jordan will never do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So he was always really proud of that. And I was proud of him, you know, for, for him to be able to be one of the greatest basketball players ever, but not miss a beat in business and be just as fierce and compassionate about business as he was. Um, so my goal with the podcast, obviously, is to continue to grow it. Um and, and win an Oscar or an Emmy. I don't know if they have Oscars for podcasts, but I think they have Emmys for podcasts and uh, win one in his honor. That's
0: awesome. Um, you know, as we're you know we're getting towards the end of um the, uh, the episode, I wanted to try this new thing. It was like rapid fire. I'm gonna ask you these you know these questions and you know you just yeah just answer. Right. Who do you feel is the most underrated player in the NBA right now?
1: Man, there's a handful. I'd say Drew Holiday, Bradley Beals, C.J. McCollum, and Lou Williams.
0: Your all-time starting five.
1: Oh shit! That's a a good one. LeBron, Kobe, MJ, Shaq, Kevin Durant. Who would
0: you? Who would your four be? Though? Who? Who would your four is?
1: is, It it doesn't matter. LeBron or KD could be the four. Okay, uh, you know who are you trying to?
0: Who's going to be your next guest
1: on All the Smoke? Uh, next, I mean, we we're able to get you know it, it pretty much anyone in the sports world. But I, I mean, mm-hmm. I've always been someone that wanted to shoot for the stars, so I want to get someone like Michael Jordan, mm-hmm. uh, Barack Obama, Magic Johnson, Michelle Obama. Mm-hmm. Um, those are like my dream guests right there. Um. Obviously, we're gonna try to attack everyone in the sports world. You know, everyone who, who who's 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 still rocking right now, who's a big time star, we'll probably eventually get all those guys. But you know, I want to get some of the greats and, and some of the greats in other professions.
0: Okay. During this quarantine time, what are you binge watching?
1: Um. Hold on one sec. So I've been binge-watched um, All-American. I've binge-watched Norcos. And I just finished Ozark Season 3 this morning. Okay. So those have been my binges.
0: Okay. And last one will go, I think you said it earlier, your favorite artist?
1: My favorite artist of all time mm-hmm. is Tupac. Okay.
0: Well, no, that's, you know, thank you so much. And I hope this episode can inspire and, you know, get a you know get a message to people and again I just wanna I wanna thank you for taking the time out of your evening to really to be on my to be on my podcast. I really appreciate it.
1: No doubts man. Thanks for having me and good luck with everything. Thank you so much. All right, have a good one.
0: Thank you too.